Hi, everyone. Dr. B. Again, thank you for joining me for another episode of Ask the Dentist. Welcome back. Today, we're going to, I'm going to get right into it because this could go on for a little bit. I try and keep these under 10 minutes. I am never successful. My podcast team says it should be definitely under 20 minutes. I am rarely successful in 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 that vein. But anyway, I'm going to get right into it. We're going to talk about something that is quite common amongst all of us. I have the same condition. And this is one of the most often asked questions on Ask the Dentist, on our Instagram accounts, from patients. We are going to be talking about gingival recession, otherwise known as gum recession. What is it? What to do about it? What to look out for? So a little complicated. Obviously, there are many reasons for it. I think it's not well-defined, and I don't think many of you are getting the right information from your dentist, and, and that's why we're going to talk about it. I have talked about this before. I think we have an older blog post on this on our website. I will link to that. There are some updates. Um, this, this what I'm saying now, may differ a little bit from that blog post, and I may have done a podcast on this, but in in the early early years of this podcast, so maybe in the within the first forty maybe first 30 uh, episodes. I'll try and find that and link to that as well. But it's important to really bone up on this and know what what it is and how to prevent it because once you have it, and again, 50 to 80% of us, of adults, have this condition, gum recession, at least in one site. Uh, according to one study, I think in that study, they defined adults as over age 21, Definitely, I would agree with that. Most of my college students have gum recession in one area. And by the time we get to be older, maybe after age 60, there are multiple sites. And it it it, it is associated with self-image, the way your smile looks, how likely you are to smile, sensitivity, tooth pain, tooth aching, the types of foods that you stay away from, choices that you make. Again, if you're not familiar with gum recession, this is a big deal, and most of us have it. And then I'll maybe end with why. Is this something that is, is this something our ancestors suffered from? Is it something that we're doing in today's modern day age? And to give you a quick, quick kind of look into that, I, w- I would say, I don't know, but we're going to discuss it. Uh, I think it's worth discussing. Anyway, what is gingival recession? What is gum recession? It is a downward shift or migration of the gingival margin. What is the gingival margin? It is the free edge of the gum, the scalloped U-shaped coverage of gum near the that is at the edge of the tooth, Typically, in a healthy person or young person, that gum margin, gingival margin, is at the cemento-enamel junction. What is that? That is where the enamel ends on the tooth and the root portion of the tooth begins. You can, with your fingernail, if you slide up and down on the enamel, down to the gum line, you can feel a little indent. It's not actually an indent, it's a transition point. And that comes into play later. That's the reason I mentioned it. Enamel is very hard. It's the hardest substance in the body. And the root structure, the the dentinal aspect of that cemento-enamel junction, cementum is something different, but to keep it simple, you go from enamel to dentin, 
and that dentin is quite a bit softer and more porous and has sensation and it's more likely to get decay. It is not as hard as enamel. It is probably softer than bone in terms of tensile strength and porosity. And again, it is exposed. Exposed bone, as many of you may know, if you've had a compound fracture or even uh, tooth extractions and a dry socket, that's what that's where the pain comes from, is exposed bone in a dry socket. That is some of the most intense pain that the human body can feel. Again, the, re, the neuroreceptors or the pain receptors in bone are hypersensitive and, and convey a lot of pain, and probably by design, because that's a serious injury if the bone is exposed to the outside environment. But keep that in mind. Dentin and bone are similar. The dentin is innervated, and that's why that pain after gum recession can be so intense. Again, we'll talk about that. Okay, so the gum recedes. It moves downwards. In the old days, if you're older than 50 years old, you'll, you'll recognize the saying, someone, if someone is long in the tooth, which infers that they are, which implies that they are very wise because they are old, all that refers to is that they've been around long enough where they have some gum recession. And, and there is some truth to that. If, as you get older, gum recession is more likely. And that is due to one of the factors in gingival or gum recession, and that is wear and tear due to the outside environment, including brushing. We're going to talk about that as well. So the gum recedes downwards. We're going to talk about why that happens. It's multifactorial. It's usually not one single reason. It's a combination of many things. And then add time to that equation. So there are surgical approaches. There are preventative things you can do to prevent this. Receding gums is not a natural thing unless you get old enough where you're going to see a little bit of it. So there, I would classify them as two different versions. There is an accelerated version, which is has a disease or pathology basis, also a habit, uh, a uh, um, overdoing something like brushing type of habit uh, reason or basis for wear and tear on the gum line. And then there are some systemic diseases that can cause recession as well. Uh, and some foods as well. So, so that's the type of gum recession I'm referring to. There is normal gum recession, again, with aging. You know, it's kind of like uh, collagen. Uh, the amount of collagen in your skin decreases over time, and then you get more wrinkles. It's, it's kind of along those lines. And that never becomes a big issue if it's normal recession. Most people don't even aren't even aware of it unless it's pointed out to them. It's not pathological in origin or in etiology in, in, in why it happens. And it takes a long time to occur. And there usually are no symptoms. Hard to differentiate between the two, of course, but just wanted to make that clear. So there are some of you out there that have gum recession and, and I would say it's normal and don't jump to aggressive therapies like surgery. Get a double, sorry, get a second opinion on these things because if something is normal and it's not bothering you, then you shouldn't be signing up for surgery, for example. Okay, let's, so that's gum recession. You can see it, it's visible. You do look like you are long in the tooth or teeth. The teeth look longer, and the bottom portion where the gum pulls away 
from the enamel and exposes the dentin, exposes a yellower colored material. That's dentin. It's not as reflective as enamel. It's not as white as enamel. It's also very unprotected and also very sensitive. There are nerve endings deeper down in the in the dentin. It's not at the, it doesn't, these nerve endings don't go to the edge of the tooth, but there are f- tubules and fluid in those tubules that are exposed and are easily disturbed um, and can induce pain via the nerves that are further in, deeper into a dentin. Enamel is inert, it's a cover. Typically, you don't have that issue. Those tubules are covered. That's why we call this this issue caused by gum recession, dental sensitivity. And I suffer from dental sensitivity. I do have some recession, and that is why I have to continually remineralize my teeth, not with fluoride, although fluoride, topical fluoride would have a beneficial effect in that regard, but because I'm concerned about the effects on the brain and other issues as well, thyroid, I'm able to successfully use hydroxyapatite to remineralize those areas, plug up the little openings to the tubules so that the fluid is not agitated by anything externally like brushing, cold foods, spicy foods, acidic foods, alkaline foods, etc., causing pain. And the pain is kind of a generalized achiness. And I know when it's coming. I've have experienced it over the years, decades actually, where I know when my teeth are not, my roots are not as remineralized as they should be. Maybe I've been swishing with too much liposomal vitamin C. Maybe I've been uh, getting a little crazy with the uh, apple cider vinegar in the morning, acidic drinks. I do drink a lot of iced tea, green tea, and all of those beverages are highly acidic, some more than others. I do occasionally drink kombucha. I was at a retreat in Costa Rica. It was the the breath retreat with James Nestor. We've talked about that. And I was concerned about the safety of drinking the water, even though they said it was safe. And so I was a great customer at the bar. I drank a lot of their homemade kombucha. A little sweet for my taste, but I was trying to be careful. I was one of the few that didn't get sick on that trip, and I I do attribute it to that. However, my teeth started aching in the latter part of that week. So again, I was demineralizing those tubules, the dentinal surface or the root surface of the roots. So what causes gingival recession? Okay, many, many reasons. I'm going to try and keep this simple or, or, or relatable. So bacterial plaque and inflammation, probably the number one reason. Gingival inflammation, gum disease. If you have gum disease, and that includes just bleeding gums from gingivitis all the way up the scale to the more severe forms of gum disease where there's bone loss and severe gum recession because the tissue is dying. Uh, There's a hyperimmune response, the very small, fragile vasculature, the tiny little arteries, only a few other places in the body where they're that small, maybe lining of the lung, maybe certainly in the kidney, in the Bowman's capsule. These are very small. This is part of the peripheral blood supply, and it's tiny. And if there's blood pressure, increased blood pressure, or chronic inflammation where the body keeps sending more blood there, it's inflamed, it's trying to fight an infection, those blood vessels blow up, 
they blow out, and that tissue necrosis. When that tissue necrosis, the free margin, the gingival flaps, the gum tissue that's up against the teeth, that gum tissue, when it necrosis, it recedes. Gingival recession, probably the number one reason is bacterial plaque and inflammation. Um, uh, we've talked about what causes bleeding gums. Um, it's more than just food debris and and a lot of food on your teeth. It's oral microbiome dysbiosis, and it can be influenced by other systemic diseases. There's a two-way back and forth between diabetes, metabolic diseases, and gum disease and gum recession. So that's a big player. Another one is uh, orthodontic movement of teeth beyond the arch form. What does that mean? <laughs> Again, another another rabbit hole here, sorry. So our faces are not developing. Our jaw, the amount of jawbone that we have available to the metrics, the the volume of teeth coming in is just not there. And, and that's how we're evolving into a species. We've talked about this small face, same number of teeth coming in. And so there isn't enough room for these teeth. So what a lot of dentists do, instead of extracting teeth, which I wouldn't recommend to make room, they put, they enlarge the arch to make room for all these teeth so there's no crowding. And by doing that, they move those roots and teeth closer to the outer edge, which can cause, and here's another reason for gum disease, fenestrations or dehiscence of alveolar bone. I prefer the, the term fenestration because it means something to me. It's Latin or French, uh, which is where the French got it from, for a window. And as you push that tooth out to the outer edges of that cortical plate, of the jawbone, there's more likely a little window that's going to open or perforation, the fenestration. And when that happens, the gum freaks out and it can, the attached gingiva, the tissue that isn't free, we haven't talked about that, the difference between attached gingiva and free gingiva or loose gingiva. I'm not going to get into that. That's a good half hour discussion, probably with models and diagrams. But that tissue that's connected to the bone recedes. It, it cannot handle that fenestration. It needs good solid bone. So if an orthodontist is trying to widen your arch without moving bone or widening the jawbone, that causes a fenestration, a little window in the alveolar bone, the jawbone, and that creates aggressive and painful and debilitating gum recession. Related to that is abnormal tooth position. Again, if there's a lot of crowding, and that's where I got my little bit of recession. I had crowded teeth for a long time, and after dental school as an adult, I did do a little jaw expansion and was able to make my teeth all fit into place without crowding. But wherever there's tooth crowding, where the teeth are overlapped, that does affect the bone, the girdle of bone around the teeth. And it also prevents you from cleaning the teeth properly. It's a accumulates a lot of plaque that goes back to the bacterial plaque and inflammation reason or cause for gum disease. Again, multifactorial, all of those things based on these teeth that are not stacked up properly, leads to gum recession. The, the papillae, it starts at that pointy piece of tissue in between the teeth. That's the most fragile blood supply. It's called the call, C-O-L. It's a mountaineering 
definition or it was taken from mountaineering. And every time I go up a call, a snow-filled call to ex- to gain access to a peak, I usually have my crampons on. I always think of the call in dentistry. And, and if you... I'll try and come up with a picture or a photo, an image of one and put it in the show notes. But a call is a great term. But the snow on that call, especially at the very top, is very, very thin and unstable. So that's how I... How, how I remember it, kind of weird, right? But anyway, that's what blows out first. A little a little chronic inflammation in that area, the call blows out, the papillae shrinks, and that starts the gum recession. Let's see, what else? High frenum attachment or, or a muscle pull. I think it's more about the frenum, and a frenum is not a muscle, but if, for example, a tongue tie can cause this from the lingual side, Every time you move your tongue, you're pulling down on that tissue. That's a very simplified mechanistic definition there. It can also happen with lip ties, that vestibular tissue that shouldn't be there or should have necrosed away over time as the child grew and, and, and developed. That tissue can cause diastema, spacing in between teeth. It does have an influence on tissue. It's because if there's... A, if there's the presence of that pull or that attachment, every time you move your lips or chew or blow on a musical instrument or, or, or any kind of lip or muscular movement, you're tugging on that tissue and you're more likely to pull it down. Let's see, what else? I'm going to save the best for last. These are not ranked in terms of priority or in terms of severity, but in, surprisingly, intraoral uh, piercings even perioral piercings. I didn't see this until later in my career. I learned a lot through one of my dental assistants. I went to observe. She and her husband were getting married and they wanted to pierce their tongue. Got a lot of flack about this from a lot of my colleagues, but I did want to see what that was all about. Again, it's all about learning and how that was done. I won't go into it, but if you have a a piercing on your tongue, you can crack teeth, but you can also cause severe gum recession in certain areas. And that leads me to the next reason, direct traumatic injury. This is probably one of the major reasons we get gum recession. It's our food. If you bite down on a certain kind of food, like a well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go base with what what one of my early instructors said. He was head of the department at my dental school. He wrote the book on gum recession, mucogingival issues, and sourdough bread. This Again, this dental school was in San Francisco. He lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. It was the crust from sourdough bread. It was also oat bran flakes. Certain foods, and I've added to that list, what's on that list? I'm thinking of the food now. I don't eat them anymore. Popcorn is one. Certain hard, like tortilla chips, hard bread crust. There's one that I'm blanking on. It's the pork pork rinds. Pork rinds. If you bite down on these foods and they and they don't give right away, or if they, as you do, break them in half, the outer edges of of the pieces after the, it's been broken in half by your incising on this food, it will scrape the side of the gum. It's not just the scraping; it's also, and many of you have experienced this. You're eating a certain food and you jump a little bit because that food scrapes the gum. It's painful for a while, and that moment may may or may not have caused the beginning of some gum recession, uh, which would cease after a while. But it's that injury, and then the body heals, and it, it heals a little bit lower. 
so it's not necessarily gum, chronic gum disease that's caused it. It could be, in addition, it could be what you're eating, that scraping or that hardness of the food. And these are foods that our ancestors probably didn't see, although they were probably eating things that could cause that. I would, I, I'm not going to say they weren't, but they weren't eating pork rinds, fried pork rinds. They weren't eating tortilla chips and oat bran, certainly. And it's not just the texture of the food, it's how the food gets caught. For example, with popcorn and the oat bran flakes, they can get caught in between tissue and the tooth, and the patient's not aware of it. And then there's a foreign body uh, response by the body. It sees that as a foreign body, and there's an extreme amount of inflammation. Typically, there's a lot of pain associated with that. Um, I've been doing this long enough where if someone calls me and I ask them a few questions, I immediately tell them, get out some floss, tie a double knot into the floss so both knots have tied down onto themselves. There's a technique for that and drag that knot through there. And 99% of the time, the relief is immediate and they see the popcorn hull that they've pulled out. That was caught in there. That popcorn hull is perfectly shaped. It's like a suction cup. Um, and it happens within days or hours of having consumed popcorn. And it gets caught in there and brushing and normal flossing will not get rid of it. The body reacts. If you leave it in there long enough, the gum will recede. And... I've even seen people lose enough bone where they lose the tooth. Doesn't take long, six to eight weeks, pretty scary. So be careful with popcorn. I'm not saying don't eat popcorn, but don't eat popcorn if you can. <laughs> what else? So we've talked about foods. Uh, again, I'm saving the best for last. We've talked about abnormal tooth position, crowding. Let's, let's get to the, the, what I think is the main reason, at least for us in our modern world. That is aggressive toothbrushing, improper toothbrushing, and or flossing, floss cuts. So first of all, let's talk about um, let, let's talk about brushing. Two things there. We use nylon bristles, which over time become very abrasive. Again, we've talked about this. I would give a well-made, high-quality, end-rounded hemispherical bristles. I mean, this is a process that's done at the factory. It takes a lot of time. When they make a toothbrush and they embed these bristles into the nylon handle and the machine comes along and cuts them, it has to go to a polishing machine and each bristle has to be rounded into a hemispherical dome-shaped end. It cannot be... When you cut bristles nylon and you don't polish them, essentially what you're looking at are these little cylinders of nylon embedded all at the same height and on the edge of that cylinder is a very hard edge of nylon and that is very very abrasive and it will cause first gum recession you can brush your gums down and then later when the root is exposed it will cause dentinal or root sensitivity it will gouge your dentin nylon is not to be messed with make sure you're using the right nylon make sure you're replacing your nylon bristles often i would say every three to four weeks even if you have an electric toothbrush i know that's not good news, especially considering the cost of an electric toothbrush head. And then there are a lot of knockoffs that a lot of you ask me about. And my answer always is the same. It's probably okay, except for the toothbrush head. I would have to look at that toothbrush head under a scanning electron microscope to see the shape of the bristles. 
and which I have done, but I can't do continually. As you keep asking me about different brands, there are all these knockoffs of sonic toothbrushes on the market now. The motors, the the the, the product itself, the batteries, all of that, even the cycles per minute, which should be around thirty or 28 and higher, 28,000, 28K or 30K and higher. All of that's good, but it's all about what comes into contact with your gums and your teeth. It's that bristle. So again, my answer always is the same. I don't know, don't have enough information for you. Sonicare, and again, I don't, I don't have any affiliation with them. Sonicare has been around long enough. There are some other reputable brands and their, their heads, again, don't get the knockoff heads. You can also get uh, knockoff heads for your uh, Sonicare toothbrush on Amazon, be very, very wary of that. But they go through a lot of trouble and that's why they are more, more expensive. They do end round the, the bristles. You can Google that, end rounding procedures on nylon bristles. It's very, very important. Why are we using nylon? Nylon is very clean. It doesn't harbor any bacterial infections. There are a lot of bugs in the mouth. And if you brush with something that is not synthetic, you can reinfect yourself. Uh, also boar bristles. I tried boar bristles. Wonderful concept, very soft. They don't last. Maybe a few days at best, and it comes from a boar. So again, be, be very careful with what you're brushing with. And then lastly, it's how we brush. You know, we're aggressive. I, I, we do have a blog post on this. I do remember now we have a picture of Natalie Portman, I think it was from the Black Swan film. I'm not picking on Natalie. She's amazing. One of my favorite actresses, amazing talent. But she, there's a scene where she's early on in the film where she's brushing her teeth. And again, I, there are many actors that, that or in film and in, in, uh, in, in our media that we all seem to brush very aggressively. We're scrubbing. We've got this hammer we're like, like we're holding a hammer and, and hammer-fisted grip on the toothbrush and we're scrubbing and it's a big back-and-forth sawing motion or a big aggressive circular motion. That's not how we want to brush. We want to brush very lightly. We want to hold the toothbrush like we do a pencil, pinky out, <laughs> and maybe brush with your non-dominant hand so that you're not an, over, an aggressive or not over-brushing. These are all things we've talked about. I think that that blog post does discuss that as well. So it's how we brush and what we brush with. These are very important things. Same thing with flossing. I won't spend too much time on that. Flossing, we, we can be aggressive. We can cut the gum. It's called the floss cut. How that gum will heal and repair itself is always the issue, and that can lead to gum recession as well. It's also very, very painful. And again, as I've always said, and we'll continue saying flossing is a very difficult thing to do. Get a floss stick, get something like the Slate Flosser. I love that device. It is my prime way of flossing. It's very convenient and it makes it safer and easier for, you to, for one to do it properly. And it does prevent floss cuts. Much less likely to get a floss cut that way using a floss stick than you would if you were flossing by hand. Especially if you're new to it or struggle with those kind of things. The, de the dexterity and the coordination that's required, it's not easy. Uh, again, I think dentists that tell you to floss and then if you have a cavity or some gum disease and they shame you for not flossing but they've never really explained how difficult that it is or how to do it properly that's not fair it is a fair it's a big ask um but anyway um i think those are all the reasons that i can think of let me go through my list here we've got trauma uh, genetics we didn't talk about that there are some people that are predisposed 
to gum recession. They have thinner tissue. They have thinner attached gum tissue. The tissue, the way it stacks up against the teeth, again, I'm simplifying, it's way more complicated than this, is different. And again, this goes back to that head of the department, my instructor in periodontology, gum disease, at my dental school, he said it best. He said, if you ask them what their ancestry is, if it's Northern European ancestry, likely they will have a mucogingival issue. And I've done that from day one in my career, and by golly, <laughs> he was right. So there are there are certain populations that are are prone to that. I'm not going to get into much more, but there are there are some some other variations when it comes to genetics and some other factors to consider. But there's very little research on it. So I don't really want to emphasize that when there are other more important things, which we've talked about, that are more important, like how you brush and certain foods. In my practice, I have measured and treated sleep issues for thousands of patients. And one of my easy and immediate recommendations for every one of these patients is to start taking a magnesium supplement. It is well understood that magnesium improves the chances of deeper and more restorative sleep. For me personally and for my family, Magnesium Breakthrough has helped me achieve better scores for deep and REM sleep. Magnesium Breakthrough has been a game changer for my wife and I, many family members. It literally possesses a hallowed spot in our vitamin and supplement drawer. At family get-togethers, we remind each other, do you have enough? Did you bring your mag breakthrough? Uh, no exaggeration. Most magnesium supplements contain one to two forms of magnesium. Magnesium breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium, like nature intended. Not including all forms makes no sense when efficacy is the desired result. Not surprisingly, in today's world, 75% of the population is magnesium deficient. And unfortunately, eating well can't solve this deficiency given today's farming practices. That's why getting all seven forms of magnesium in Magnesium Breakthrough is the ultimate way to give your body all seven forms in one supplement. Magnesium Breakthrough helps you sleep better. It also helps calm your mind and allows you to feel grounded and relaxed during the day, and especially before bed, preparing you for a good night's sleep. Getting the correct amount and versions of magnesium, as found in Magnesium Breakthrough, also helps improve digestion, supports muscle recovery, and supports healthy bone density and even tooth remineralization. So make sure you are not only taking magnesium, make sure you are getting all forms of magnesium, which ultimately is what our bodies need to function optimally. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash askthedentist. Do it now. Your body and brain will thank you. Again, that's magbreakthrough.com slash askthedentist and use promo code askthedentist, all one word, during checkout to save 10%. Restorative sleep is perhaps the most important factor in living a life well-lived. Don't let the quality of your magnesium supplement be anything less than the best it can be. All right, so let's talk about prevention. What, what's the plan here? What should we all be doing to minimize recession, prevent it? And if you do have it, what are the things we can do? This is, this will be, this is how we'll end it. Let's let's talk about prevention first. Again, if we go through the list, be careful what foods you eat. We talked about the foods. If you have a high frenum attachment or a lip tie, tongue tie, get that taken care of. That's a surgical procedure. Not as difficult as you would think, though. And it prevents 
pretty severe gum recession over time. Intraoral and perioral, perioral piercings, a, a direct traumatic injury. That's something I didn't really flesh out very much. So if you if there's a blow to the face or a certain part of the jawbone, that can lead to gum recession. Also, aggressive orthodontics can also lead to gum recession. So make sure your dentist is doing the right the right work, is being gentle, is you know, make sure your child is not you know, exposed to trauma in the playground or, you know, little, little brother moments or, or something like that. It's, it's, it's difficult to address all of these things. But the things you can have control over is brushing and diet. Be very careful. Take that advice that I gave you on nylon bristles. Maybe use a nano bristle brush. That's a new toothbrush that we've been talking about that is, is, it's on our store right now. Try and go with one with a plastic handle, not a wood handle. The bristles do come out on the wood handles. Not all of them do, but some do. What else? Be a good brusher. Learn how to brush. There is a toothbrush out there. I will try and include a link. It's got a little clutch mechanism on it. I remember doing an Instagram video on that. It shocked me. It When you put this brush in your mouth and you apply brushing pressure to it, that clutch will release. It'll break when you apply too much pressure. Even I was brushing too much uh, on, on my sensitive exposed roots. Um, so uh, try that toothbrush. You, you will be very surprised as to how much pressure it takes to release that clutch. They actually have a certain, they have a very specific measurement of how much force they believe is 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 the threshold for being too aggressive. But it also depends on the bristles you're using. An electric toothbrush, especially the circular ones, the like the Oral-B bronze, you have to use them very lightly. Those bristles travel a greater distance. It's a kind of an oscillatory movement. I think it's 30 degrees back and forth. Make sure those bristles are soft and high quality and that you've replaced them often. The Sonicare bristles, they move, they don't move as much. It's not a oscillatory movement that's back and forth. It's more of a vibratory sonic a vibration movement, but they can also be very traumatic. And in general, electric toothbrushes are more likely to give you gum recession than a manual toothbrush, although there will be variations. It depends on on technique and who you are and, and how you brush. So be very aware of that. Try that toothbrush that breaks loose at a certain set at a certain degree of force. I will find that toothbrush. I have it here in my drawer, but I'll find the link for it. I hope they still sell it. I think everyone should have at least one of those. Every dentist should have one and try it at least once or twice. And again, that will give you an idea of what's required. Use the pencil technique or the non-dominant hand technique. Just grasp the toothbrush like you were holding a pen very lightly and let the toothbrush deflect if you push too hard. Last thing I'll say about toothbrushes, the Sonicare that I recommend, it's about $40. It's not the two to $300 model with all the gizmos and bells and whistles. The one gizmo bell and whistle that I really like is the sensor for brushing too hard. And that's the one I use. If I do use the Sonicare and electric, I do use that occasionally. And the, the base of the handle will light up 
it will tell you that you're brushing too hard. The Oral-B bronze have it. They just stop. They decrease the power or they just stop spinning if you push too hard. These are called pressure sensors, and I definitely recommend you get them. Although I do think they're not sensitive enough, but at least it's something. Anyway, so these are the things you can do to prevent gum recession. Let's say you have gum recession and it's bad. You're in a lot of pain. It's unsightly. That's where most people start looking at surgery because it's unsightly. They don't like their smile. And of course, I don't blame them. Here's the problem with surgery. It's, as usual, it's overprescribed. It's very difficult. Uh, gum surgery is very difficult to get right. There are many different techniques out there. There are newer techniques and there are older techniques. In general, try and get a free, sorry, try and get a um, connective tissue graft. They take a piece of tissue from your palate. The older te technique is a free gingival graft. Uh, in, in my career, 30 years ago, I was in a CE course where we were transitioning from the older technique, the free gingival graft, where they took the whole piece of gum tissue from the palate. And we, we transitioned to the connective tissue graft surgery. We did try membranes, semi-permeable membranes that's still in use. Grafting is very difficult to get the gums to not grow. We don't; they don't grow back up. Once you have gum recession, they don't grow back up. They only grow in one direction; they recede. Um, but but to pull the gums back up and flap them in such a way and graft them so that that gum recession is is gone very difficult to do. It takes a very talented surgeon to do that. The connective tissue, the newer technique. We literally, this may be too much for a lot of you, but we, we flap the tissue on the palate, which is the whole gingival section of it, including the outer layer. We dissect out the connective tissue portion of that tissue, and then we flap back the, the, the gingival portion, the, the outside cover of the oral mucosa. We stitch it back or we have you wear a splint, and that little piece of tissue... Uh, which is, has a lot of fat in it, a connective tissue collagen. That's what gets stitched into the graft. Very difficult to do, tiny. You need great hands. You need a lot of coordination. Make sure your surgeon is wearing loops. I would say anywhere from 4.5x to higher, 10x. This is very important. It's a very, very technique-sensitive surgery. Here's one tip on the surgery, though. If you have some recession, it's not bothering you that much. Maybe it's a little sensitive. You can apply resins to it. There are procedures in dentistry where you apply a little etchant or acid to decontaminate the root surface. Then you remove a smear layer. You expose those dentinal tubules so that when you pour in the resin and light cure it, you are covering that area and desensitizing it. Costs a little money. Usually it doesn't require anesthesia. Sometimes it does. It depends on how sensitive your teeth are. Um, but that's one way to desensitize those areas. So if it's not a cosmetic concern, try that first. Um, and again, wait on the surgery. Uh, a good surgeon will measure the defect, the amount of gum recession. They'll measure, and again, I didn't explain this because it's very complicated. They'll measure the amount of attached gingiva. And then over time, if that attached gingiva height or measurement decreases, then you do need surgery. So ask for that. Make sure you're not getting surgery too soon. A lot of the time there was trauma 
It could have been orthodontic. It could have been a blow to the face. It could have been a certain food or a floss cut, all of that. Mm -hmm. And the tissue receded, but then the recession stopped and it's not continuing. So don't, if it's, if it's not a cosmetic concern, don't do the surgery unless you absolutely have to and look for active recession. Ask the dentist to measure. That will take time, a few months, a few years, typically a few years of measurements. If the recession is active, then go, go for the surgery and make sure your surgeon has good results. Uh, ask for before and after pictures. Ask to speak to some of his patients. And all... Almost all patients will judge the success of surgery based on how does it look? Were they able to reverse the, the recession, the gum recession? And again, difficult to do, but if it, it was done, chances are he's a great surgeon. Anyway, I hope that answers all of your questions about um, gum recession. Again, it is asked very often and you know, no surprise, it is quite common. Most of us have gum recession. I've never had any gum surgery. I am a candidate for it. I do have some borderline connective free, sorry, con attached gingival issues. The rule of thumb is if it's less than three millimeters and I'm right at that zone in some areas, but I have been for the last 20, 30 years. I learned about mucogingival issues back then and I've been very careful that's proof positive that you can prevent further gum recession if you know what you're doing. And everything that I've learned over the years, I have just expressed to you in this 10-minute, did I say 10-minute? <laughs> uh, in this 20, probably more like a 30-minute episode. But definitely great information. It, it can be prevented. My teeth are a little sensitive because there is some exposed roots. It's not cosmetic. No one can see it. And again, I brush very carefully to make sure I don't injure that dentin. If I overbrush the dentin, then it becomes sensitive. If I don't use the right toothpaste, a nanohydroxyapatite toothpaste works within days. If I haven't been taking care of those areas, it will desensitize them almost immediately and will keep them strong. So anyway, I think that's enough. I think if you have any questions, DM me on Instagram. But again, I get these questions a lot about gum recession. I hope, hopefully, this covers all of your questions and gives you some hope as to, you know, what to do about it. Again, quite prevalent. Most of us have it. I said I would talk about our ancestors. You know, there's no data there. I mean, the tissue is all gone by the time we get to their skulls. We do see fenestrations. We do see defects in the bone. That's typically due to trauma. They had a lot of trauma in those days. Uh, but was the trauma due to food? Typically not. It was confrontation, fighting, falling, injuries, hunting other animals and getting attacked, all of that. But there could be some foods that they were eating that could cause problems. We do know that there was a lot of attrition, a lot of wear to the te teeth due to milling of grains. And in the old days, they used to use stones to mill and break down these grains and process them. Yes, our ancestors knew how to process foods. We're just doing a much worse, better, worse job of processing foods these days. And the little bits of stone that broke off from the milling process did get into the corn meal or the, the wheat, the grain. And when we were chewing on the breads, we were wearing down our teeth due to those little stone particles. So definitely a history of record, but it only shows up in the heart tissues indirectly in tartar, that gives us an idea 
of what they were eating, but directly in the skeletal structures of the skull. Anyway, that probably was too much information, but I always find it interesting. We always have to have a basis for comparison. Some context is always important when it comes to discussing our disease patterns and, and our state of being health-wise health these days. It's, it's, it helps us in addressing and identifying the root causes of really why, why are we here? Why are we sick? Very important to me, and I know it is to you as well. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to be talking about pro and prebiotics. Again, getting a lot of questions on that. And FIG, Feed Your Good Guys, the toothpaste company that Dr. Stacy and I just came out with, we will be selling a probiotic. So we're going to talk more about that. I've been for a long time kind of remiss in not really pushing probiotics. I'm more of a prebiotic guy, but there is now a probiotic that I like, and we're going to be talking about that in one of the next episodes. Hope to see you there. Again, thanks for joining us. See you soon. See you in the next episode next week. Thanks for listening to Ask the Dentist. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Mike Fry. Drop me a line at mark at askthedentist.com if you have any comments or suggestions, I'd love to hear them. And if you liked this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app. Thanks for listening and especially for taking an interest in oral health. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search our Find a Dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.